Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, live on UK Health Radio. This is uh, the UK Health Radio is the biggest and best talk health radio. Thanks for joining. Each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the CEOs, founders, leaders and clinicians who are changing the face of healthcare in the UK and beyond. I'm a founder and CEO myself of a health tech venture called PocDoc. We are making diagnostic testing as accessible as possible by allowing you to give yourself a blood test just using your smartphone. Um, and I'm passionate about the, the individuals and companies that are changing the world. Thanks, as always, to everyone who's listening live on UK Health Radio. Hello. Welcome back. It's great to have you. Thanks also if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, Google or Amazon podcasts or watching on YouTube. It's great to have you. I always say at the top of the show, thank you so much for listening. Um, we try our best to put out a great show each week, and we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you guys all listening. So thank you very much. Um, at the top of the show, I also want to thank our show partner, which is zerozilchzip.com. That's zerozilchzip.com. Zerozilchzip is the, is, is the best online retailer of the finest alcohol-free drinks, um, they have a, a team of people curating and testing alcohol-free wines, fizz, ciders, beers, and spirits. So everything there has been tested to make sure it's good. So there's no need, um, like I did at the start of my alcohol-free journey, to, to kiss a lot of frogs and go through a lot of drinks that aren't nice. They've gone through that. Now, in um, just after we introduce our guests, we're going to do the, the well, the catch. I need a better name for the segment, to be honest with you, but it's the alcohol-free drink of the week segment um as presented by zero zilch zip uh, any suggestions as to how we can come up with a better name for that would be greatly appreciated um but we will do that after introducing today's guest um regular listeners know probably that i'm i'm on my journey of of being alcohol free and just serendipitously um zero zilch zip came on board as a sponsor which was perfect because it you know it's something that i can i can talk about and, and i feel passionate about um you know sort of um and it's certainly opened my eyes around thinking and drinking and, and having more choice around what what I drink so um on to today's guest so today's guest is Scott Murray from Venturi Cardiology some of you may have heard him join the show just just during the intro that was because we were having some connectivity issues but anyway um Scott started as a senior cardiologist in the NHS before founding Venturi Cardiology uh, we always love having clinician entrepreneurs so um, clinicians who have then become entrepreneurs, who, who, can, we love having them on the show because their viewpoint is really unique. They've managed to combine um, traditional clinical work experience training with being an entrepreneur and going on to solve major healthcare problems. It's always really fascinating to listen to their particular viewpoint. Um, so Venturi Cardiology itself is disrupting in a good way, I would say. So disrupting in a good way uh, how testing for cardiology 
um, and cardiovascular disease is done, condensing into a single day what can normally take months if you follow the normal routes through the NHS and GP network and, and things like that. Obviously, doing in a day what can take months is um, a major improvement for, for patients, uh, and particularly because cardiovascular disease is the single biggest killer of men and women in most Western countries. Uh, this, this, it's, it's a really critical, improving those speeds to diagnosis and treatment you know, from a few months to a few days is extremely valuable. Obviously, uh, PopDoc, um, my company, we're very focused on cardiovascular disease with our first um, smartphone-based lipid test. So it's great to have Scott on the show. Scott, how are you? Yeah, great. Thanks, Steve. Sorry for the gaffe at the start. <laughs> I was just panicking that <laughs> I joined the wrong thing. Or and no. I know you can't. I know you can't see me at the moment. Um, I ho- hopefully that's okay. My I don't know what's wrong with the video, but no, it's okay. We're currently on on the radio, so it's oh, yeah. it's all cool. good. Um, and you know, don't worry. Believe me, if you thought you were scared about joining the wrong call, you've got no idea how scared I was that you weren't going to actually make it on, and I would have to talk for a whole hour. So it's all. I'm very, very pleased that you're here. So, um, as you heard at the top of the show, because I, I want to get your view on this as a as a professional clinician, the show's um, sponsored by um, Zero Zilch Zip, which is a sort of an on what one of the the, the newest um, and sort of, I would argue, sort of leading alcohol-free drinks retailers. They don't make the drinks themselves, but they've created a sort of marketplace for it. Um, okay. From a cardiology okay. perspective, what, what, you know, cardiologist, cardiovascular health perspective, what's your view on, I, I would I, I, I certainly perceive it as a, as a trend more towards alcohol-free being more accepted, more mainstream in terms of a drink sort of lifestyle and culture. Like what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think you're speaking to a Glaswegian here, so it's probably not the, the, the greatest <laughs> conversation to have. Um, alcohol was part of the um, sort of fabric of, of life growing up for me uh, and still is. Uh, but I, I, it does cause major health issues. And, you know, any move to try and get people to be more alcohol free is, is to be commended. Um, I mean, I think recent studies have shown that actually all alcohol is you know to some degree toxic and I think we did go through a period where there were some studies suggesting that red wine and you know sort of med as part of a Mediterranean diet was harmless and if anything might have been sort of beneficial yeah to some like this, this the whole kind of like red glass of red a day type of type yeah of study. I mean I'm still relying on that to be honest <laughs> <laughs> well I think um, this, yeah sorry finish sorry finish uh, but, yeah I mean I think the, the most recent stuff it is basically coming to the conclusion that you you know it, it is an uh, a, a toxin particularly to your liver which is we'll probably get on to in this chat but the liver is just so so important um and um whilst mine is crying at this moment in time I'm, i'll be hopeful that some of the listeners livers are healthier um yeah so I, okay I yeah I, I mean i think that that my um so I decided like not, it's like 90 or so days ago just to, you know, give alcohol a little bit of a break. Not for any particular reason more. I was interested in, you know, I've got three small kids and I was just really tired. There's a lot going on at work and all that type of stuff. And, and I just thought I'd give it a crack. I think that the thing that um, obviously with any kind of trend, there's like acolytes who are sort of saying, you know, it'll like make you, you can run a hundred meters in under 10 seconds if you stop drinking alcohol and things like that. That's not what, you know, that's not where I am. I think it's more like it's having partnered with Zero Zero Zip actually. Um, and they've sent me a few of these, they do variety boxes of various different drinks. 
um, it, it's made me realize that there's actually some good stuff there. So it's more around choice. I think it's like choose, yeah. choose what you want to do, but don't feel compelled to do either one thing or the other. So, and I think uh, my view is that any improvement in non-alcoholic drinks that still ticks some of those kind of psychological boxes, um, yeah. you know, like for me, the idea of cracking open a cold beer at the end of a week, that's really, there's a, there's a big plus to that. And actually, like, if it's non-alcoholic and I kind of have a similar level of enjoyment, then like, great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think um, they're, get, they're getting better. The, the non-alcoholic beers. I've tried a few of those recently um, and a lot, they're a lot better than they used to be um, yeah. taste wise. I mean, they used to be absolutely stinking. Yeah. They used to be horrendous. <laughs> so, Do you remember? Yeah. Like Calibre or whatever. Really. Uh, yeah. 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 That was, that was bad. Um, so let me get, look, let me do my catchily titled non-alcoholic drink of the week review. Okay. Um, so this week's drink, which I, I, we put out on our Instagram and on our LinkedIn pages um, and Twitter earlier, I th- this came in a box from, from Zero Zero Zip. It's a non-alcoholic Syrah red wine. Now, I, I don't know if you drink red, Scott, but yeah. I was, I, I'm a big fan of red wine, big fan of Syrah as a particular grape. I was like, there is no way on earth that this is going to be, that they're going to nail this, right? Because it's such a unique taste. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it was so it was the original zero percent Syrah by Jose Maria de Fonseca. And it was it was good. Right. It was really kind of good. It had that it had that depth of the um, of the Syrah grape and it had the sweetness. It definitely wasn't grape juice. And it had that kind of tannin alcohol taste, even though it didn't have any alcohol in it. Because I was really worried. A lot of the non-alcoholic wines I've had before, it basically just tastes really grapey. Right? Yeah, because there's because because there's no alcohol in it, and it's it's weird. It had that sort of bitterness and that that kind of strength to it without being alcohol. So yeah, I was a I was a fan, and particularly as it recommended to chill it down, I thought it was great. Oh well, yeah, there need you go. To try that then. Have a go. Um, anyway, sorry, go on. What were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, I think if you know, alcohol is you know one of the factors that is implicated in cardiovascular disease because it 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 puts your blood pressure up. Um, I- Puts your blood sugar up in some circumstances. I mean, red wines, um, some of them actually lower your blood sugar a little bit, and I don't know whether that's the, oh, yeah? the benefits of, of, of red wines. Well, <clears throat> alcohol blocks um, gluconeogenesis in the liver. Okay. So when you when you start drinking alcohol, you stop your liver from producing its own glucose, and that's okay. why you get hungry uh, right. after an alcohol binge, is that your liver's basically alcohol jumps to the front of the bus um and 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 takes oxidative priority so whatever your liver is dealing with at that time you know right. um alcohol takes priority because it's toxic and they okay. just it just wants to process it and in doing that it stops hepatic gluconeogenesis if you keep drinking alcohol you you, you know at some point you'll you'll reduce your blood sugar to the point where you you'll get a hunger craving so that's why you have to go for a kebab. That's why they, that's yeah. why you get the munchies. Yeah, basically. yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Well, look, let's dive into you and Venturi. And I think that um, there's, look, obviously, we're, like we talked about in our pre-show call, obviously what we're doing at PocDoc is kind of part of what you're trying to achieve or are achieving in the scope of everything that you're doing. So just let's, as we said, that the show's generally in these three sort of parts, the origins, what you're doing right now, and then what the future might be. So how was your journey into cardiology as a specialist like as a specialism so obviously i'm guessing you qualified as a doctor but then how did you decide on cardiology or did it choose you which is what i often hear 
Um, it, yeah, it wasn't as as prosaic as that, but basically, my grandfather died of a heart attack when I was five, and um, I I didn't you know have I don't have that many memories of him, um, but I do remember him being a jolly smoking drinking uh, <laughs> fat Glaswegian man, <laughs> and then. <laughs> But I also, I also um, remember how upset my dad was uh, when right. his dad died and, and having spoken to my dad when I was a teenager growing up, it, it solidified that. And then um, I, during medical school, did an intercalated degree with um, in, in, in sports and exercise medicine, a BSc, because um, I, was, I was quite sporty at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the the module I took was cardiovascular in that. So I worked with um, uh, Jerry McCann, who's now a professor in Leicester, uh, who's obviously famous for other reasons. But he was my supervisor, and he was a, a, just an amazing, inspirational bloke. And um, we also worked with the Scotland team doctor uh, back then. So we 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 started looking at professional footballers. We started measuring their heart sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, we were interested in why some footballers get hypertrophy of their heart when they're all doing the same training. Yeah. Um, and, and, had that, sort of and, and, and had that been done before, that type of research? Or were you yeah, guys kind of a, at the forefront? <clears throat> They'd done a, quite a bit on military recruits back then. So um, there's a famous chap in America called Barry Marin, who's like the professor of heart muscle disease that everyone recognises. Okay. Um, and um, there's also a pathologist in London called William McKenna, who was very interested in, in, in left ventricular hypertrophy back then. And so we were trying to recreate the study that they did in military recruits, where they, they did the echo scan when they first came to training, and then they all did the same training. And then they did an echo scan at the end, and then they looked at why did some people's heart muscles get thicker and some people's didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And we were down that journey, looking at blood markers and various sort of genetic and, things. And, and what's the imp- what's the what's the implication of a thick or not a thicker or a thinner heart muscle? Yeah, so there's there is a grey zone between just athletic adaption to training and uh, something called uh, left ventricular hypertrophy and, and and hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Okay, so I'm genuine, probably, I probably won't try and say that on air. I'll yeah, so there's you. a there's a genuine heart muscle disease um, that um, you, you probably heard more of people, you know, dying suddenly and then they find out they've got an exceptionally thick heart muscle when they're young. Okay. Um, but there is a grey zone in between there, between um, pathology and physiology, and we were interested in that grey zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but, but I ultimately um, finished my medical training and then uh, chose a rotation in in Liverpool, which allowed me to spend a bit more time in cardiology. Um, okay. So I, I, I did rotations in Royal Liverpool uh, and uh, uh, Liverpool Heart and Chest Hospital. And then I subsequently just stayed in that area in the northwest in Liverpool mm. and completed my training as and became a cardiologist there. Uh, and I was interested then at the end of my training in, in um, vulnerable plaque so the inside of coronary arteries and why they why they cause heart attacks and um, why does that happen? How does plaque build? What are the different histological and pathophysiological changes? Um, so I did. I ended up doing an MD in that, a, a post a, um, post medical thesis, um, and that was awarded in 2016. So that was putting catheters inside coronary arteries and using ultrasound to look at the plaque. Um, 
And I spent a few years then as a consultant interventional cardiologist, stenting plaques and treating heart attacks, but rapidly burned out uh, and sort of then made a switch to prevention. Right. And, and when you say when you say burned out, just quanti- from a quantified perspective, sort of, I mean, how many patients were you would you see in a week, a month? I mean, I don't really have a great sense of the, the volumes, but I imagine it was quite a lot. I think it was more that I was doing two roles. So I had a role in Royal Liverpool, which was a, a teaching hospital. Um, so I was responsible for inpatient care there, but I had this separate job at Liverpool Heart and Chest where I was doing stents and the interventional stuff. So actual surgery? Had, yeah, so that, well, that had a separate on-call. So in effect, I had two on-call rotors. Oh, wow, well, okay. And my wife, my wife was a consultant. Um, oh, my gosh. She had her own uh, her rotor and we had two kids at the time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so... Um, yeah. We kind of came to the conclusion that this was only going to go one way and that, um, you know, we were really struggling to, to make it work as a family. And right. so I, I moved into prevention, stopped doing the stents, started doing more CT work and preventative work. And then we had a third child. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, um, to, just to take the pressure off. You could tell who won the arguments, though. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, um, that's where I'm up to. Okay, and so where 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 did the concept for Venturi come come in? Like, where, what at what point does that start to become something that you're thinking about? Because obviously, yeah, you know, yeah. you you could stay being a senior cardiologist in the NHS, you know, your whole career and doing various different bits and bobs, and you know, so you didn't. The, the, there were a lot of different things you could have done before you get to starting your own kind of venture. I think it was sort of five years into being a consultant, suddenly realizing that hang on a minute, you know slightly frustrated by the amount of time it takes to get stuff done mm. um that in actual fact you know what we we can squeeze everything into a few hours here um right. and surely that if would be a better if, way if, if everything was kind of aligned yeah so we that's how we um came up with a concept myself and uh, tom heseltine who's my um colleague and is now a consultant in his own right um, we we created this idea when he was a registrar and he was my PhD fellow, so I was supervising <laughs> his PhD. Okay. Um, and initially, it was just going to be us doing echoes and above a shop somewhere, and then we decided, well, why don't we just go big or go home? Okay. And that's where we ended up getting investment um, and and trying to create Venturi, which is taking sort of the best part of three and a half years, four years. So it was way before COVID that we came up with the idea mm. um, to try and create a one-stop shop clinic that could deal with the majority of things very sort of expeditiously. Right. And um, what, like to, to kind of what you just referenced a moment ago around the frustration that you had around things taking a long time, could you just kind of give a bit more sort of clarity on what, on what that means, like what things took time, how, how much sort of time, like, and what the impact was for a patient or, or patients. Well, I mean, the big thing about heart disease is some people's first symptoms, uh, or first symptom is death. <laughs> right, right. So they, they get a pain in their chest and then they drop down dead and they've had yeah. nothing before. Um, and therefore speed is of the essence. And mm. um, it, just, it just takes so long. If you go through conventional pathways, you, you have to go to your GP. Your GP has to decide, sometimes might decide rightly or wrongly to either 
watch and wait or refer you in. Then the referral takes six weeks. Unless it's super urgent, we'll occasionally see them in two weeks. But then you've got, if you see them in two weeks, you've got a six-week wait for a diagnostic test. And then you've got a six-week wait for a repeat clinic appointment. Right. So you're already 12, 14 weeks in with your chest pains, um, mm. for and instance. Pres- and presumably there's a, a, a some quantifiable risk of people becoming either very seriously ill or even dying during that window of time. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on a, a multitude of factors. Some people's risks are low and ultimately they don't have cardiac disease and the, the, the symptoms are non-cardiac. But there just is that, uh, particularly those people with family histories and, and, mm. and strong family histories of heart events in the 40s and 50s and 60s, I think they're the ones that worry me most is that, you know, Shetland ponies have Shetland ponies. Um, and genetically, you're going to, if you're, right. you know. Um, you know I've, not, I've not heard that one before. I guess that's like a Scottish take on the, you know, well, if, it looks, yeah. if it looks like a duck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's big, right. it's great, it's fat, it's got a trunk, it lives in the jungle. Right. Um, you know, it's one of those uh, sort of issues that I just don't like it when patients are waiting for that length of time to get an, an answer um, yeah. from a diagnostic test. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. Well, look, I think that there's a lot that we can get into now. And also just, you know, on, on a personal note, to your point around people's first symptom being death, actually, that, that happened to, to me about six, seven weeks ago. My aunt um, had felt dodgy on one day and then the next day she had a heart attack, died about six weeks ago. Exact same thing. And um, up until that, I hadn't shown any sign of heart disease whatsoever. So, yeah, I mean, it's that's a very prescient example for, for me and my family personally at the moment. Right. OK. Yeah. It's um, so I, I completely kind of. And, my, and when I was 14, my dad had a huge stroke, which was related to cardiovascular disease. So it's kind of amazing how many people in this space um, or, or just in health tech generally kind of do what they do because of a personal kind of mission or story, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's. <sighs> You know, as you said at the start of the show, it's uh, heart disease is the, the biggest killer. Uh, and I, I suppose that's why a lot of us are involved in it, to try and make a difference or a small difference. Um, it's just one of those things, though. Um, you know, the, what we've realised with, with having the clinic is that to get someone in and to be able to process them through in what is two hours and the, for them to have an ECG blood test, uh, a heart scan, uh, an echo scan of the heart muscle and then have a CT scan of the heart arteries and to, at the end of it, know what's going on inside and, you know, having had a look under the hood. It's amazing. We've had people crying in the clinic because they've been so worried yeah. and we give them good news and we've had other people who are like, wow, I really need to make a change and I need to be referred on and they've got other things that they need to have done now. And without yeah. that, um, you know, they, they may have just been had their head in the sand for another you know, two or three years, um, not actioning yeah. it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you're probably the same with the, the point of care blood test for, for lipids. I mean, that's that's something that can maybe uh, get someone to take action um, yeah. and, and, that's and we, activate that, yeah. themselves, yeah. That's exactly, our view has always been around, there should be no um, fear around people being told of their status, their results. Like that shouldn't be, kept away from them and increasing access 
at lower costs so more access more affordable um, for diagnostics is just generally a good thing you know whether it's in the UK or wherever it happens to be um, and, and a lot of people like you said exactly that you know whenever we go and we've done you know, lipid testing in big companies and small companies and wherever it happens to be you always get people that are like oh my goodness I didn't realize that right I'm going to do something about it because they just didn't know you yeah, know? yeah they just don't know and until you put someone through a diagnostic they still won't know right yeah. so like what's the harm in in giving people access to this information because the worst they're going to do is do nothing right <laughs> really but the, they, it gives them an opportunity to make changes and to be more in control so anyway we're gonna in the next my, my producer johan is looking is throwing daggers at me because we have to go to a commercial break but i was just too sure. into yeah. too into what we're talking about but we'll be back in two minutes with scott murray ceo and founder of venturi cardiology and i want to get into all of the details around exactly what the testing is that you do and why you do the test that you do and, and what that really means for a patient that might be coming to you specifically and, and actually why a patient would come to you as opposed to doing you know their own their own thing and, and, and sticking with the normal route so we'll be back in two minutes okay great uk health radio the station that makes you feel good It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchship.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% using the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchship.co.uk because nothing's better. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with Scott Murray, CEO and founder of Venturi Cardiology. The show today is brought to you by ZeroZilchZip.com, UK's online drinks and um, non-alcoholic drinks retailer so scott before the break we were just uh, we really kind of got into a lot of the background around cardiology testing cardiovascular disease and so on so just just you know for everyone listening what it what mission did you begin with with venturi cardiology maybe even before it was called venturi cardiology like what was the mission yeah well i mean the mission was to be able to give people the opportunity to have diagnostic cardiology tests at a reduced price than you would normally see in private, uh, normal private practice like your Spires and your Nuffields, but also yeah. to work with the NHS and to offer our services at the same prices that the NHS uh, offers each other's services. So there is a thing called tariff, which is basically the menu of things you can have done in the NHS and how much that costs or it is, is provided, funding is provided for that by the government. So for instance, an echocardiogram at £70, a CT scan at £200, those sort of things. So, you know, private medicine and private practice charges a lot more for those tests. And a lot of that is dictated by the private insurers um, rather than the actual cost. So one thing we wanted to do was shorten the pathway. Um, We wanted to speed up. Mm -hmm. So Venturi is, you know, obviously speeding something up through a, a particular channel. 
and taking people from a an area of slow flow and and high pressure to a a a, a place where there's fast flow and low pressure um, and that's where Venturi Cardiology mm-hmm. came from. So we were, you know, making it less stressful, giving people a nice environment to be in that doesn't feel like being in a hospital, um, giving them everything that they would need at a lower cost and at a faster speed and at trying to solve all the issues in one uh, one shot rather than having to come back and pay more for a follow-up appointment or et cetera. It was, it was really to create that one-stop shop um, so that's how we that, that's what we that's still our mission and you know we, we've been trading now for for 10 months we've seen hundreds and hundreds of patients and I think on the whole we, we've done a really good job um, the one thing we're kind of lacking with is is due to the volume is sometimes of work that everyone has on is 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 getting the the letters out quicker than we could do I mean we want to correspond with the patient and the GP and uh, you know the everything gets done on the day and the patient gets there, you know, sat down and talked to for, you know, explained everything out. It's great to spend that amount of time with patients because in the NHS, we've got 15 minute appointments and now we can spend two hours with a patient and we can explain things. And a lot of the stuff you're doing is like, it's not necessarily a binary answer, right? No. I mean, it's, 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 it, it takes some kind of getting your head around sometimes, I suspect. It's all nuanced and, you know, trying to, taking the time to be able to explain it to patients. Look, this is what it means for you. This is your risk. This is what, where you're at now um, is, is the most, you know, the most rewarding thing of being in that clinic is, is, you know, giving patients a great service, which could take up to, you know, six months on the NHS. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, not knocking anti- the NHS, right? No, I'm, they, not anti- yeah, exactly. any, I'm not anti-NHS. I, I still work in the NHS. I'm, I'm sat at my NHS desk look, looking at my NHS paperwork at the moment. Mm. Um, but ultimately, to, to create something like this in the NHS is like walking through bureaucratic treacle. Yeah. I mean, the, it's like, I think what, I mean, you know, and obviously we, we set up a venture and we, we've started to do some small collaborations. We were on the NHS digital accelerator and things like that. And it's sort of the NHS is like a phenomenal institution, but it's a huge institution and it's extremely fragmented and it's okay to want, I think it's okay to want to work with it as well as outside of it at the same time. I don't see any harm in that. Uh, I mean, when we, yeah, when we set the clinic up and we, we employed a PR and marketing manager. So there's quite a lot of comms going out and various things going in newspapers and and um, online videos and social media. We got a bit of flack saying, "Oh, here's a, a you know UK trained cardiologist who's now um, starting up private medicine." And I don't think people really understood that we what we were doing was offering the services that you get on the NHS at the same prices for NHS patients, but we're just doing it quicker yeah, exactly. and all in one day. And that even if I laid yeah. on three extra clinics in the NHS, I would still be waiting on the tests and the results and the various things that I wanted to do during those clinics. And we'd and I, still yeah. be in the bottleneck. Um, and I think and what, the, people, what people don't necessarily understand, that this is my experience, you know, anyway, it's like I'm not a doctor and, and I, I didn't come up through the NHS kind of pathway that, that you did. But I think it's, it's as the rest of the world becomes more on demand, it's harder to understand the disconnect between the different bits of the NHS because people perceive it as one as one organization, but it's really, really not. So if you go and see your GP, 
and your GP wants you to have a test, they have to effectively ask a completely different section of the organization if, you, if they'll test you, right? Yeah. And then you have to go over there and they might have their own questions and they have their own doctors and specialists and so on. And it becomes it's sort of exponentially more complicated. Yeah, I mean, in the, at the end of the day, GPs are, are, are private businesses that are, are funded by the, the NHS. And so, you know, we are uh, different from that perspective in that it's not cost the NHS anything for us to set up. We've yeah. bore the brunt of that cost. Um, and But we are able to provide first class, um, you know, private-like um, uh, sort of specialist clinic bespoke clinic for for patients to come and get their testing done so we we have been working with the nhs and uh, performing echocardiograms and ct scans of the heart to try and help yeah. bail them out of the situation they're in at the moment with the yeah with the back and, that, and um, i mean it, it's serendipitous in a way is that we we didn't see that when we set this up we just wanted to improve you know what we could offer but then obviously covid happened and and you know these enormous weights for for diagnostic tests has meant that actually were, were more relevant than than ever before yeah i completely i would completely agree and actually just just for everyone listening i think why what, more hypothetically because some people might be thinking well hold up a second Scott's come up with a great idea. Of course it makes sense to put all these tests under one roof. Of course it makes sense to do them all at the same time. Why can't the NHS do that? So what how how would you, I'm sure you've had this question quite a bit, but like yeah, how, yeah. why 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 couldn't the NHS do that? I, I suspect I know the answer, but I think hypothetically for the listeners, it would be good for you to just give us your point of view. Yeah, so about um a year and a half um into COVID or a year into COVID, I think the NHS came up with the same idea. So it, Professor Mike, Sir Mike Richards was asked to do a review on how you would solve the diagnostic backlog in the NHS from COVID. And he came up with this idea called clinical diagnostic hubs or clinical yes. diagnostic centres. And they've actually started popping up around um, and hospitals have been tasked and funded to create these entities. And essentially what he was talking about was what we'd already done with Venturi, a place where you can send patients to get diagnostic tests. The problem with clinical diagnostic hubs and centres is that a GP requests a test. The patient goes and gets that test and the report is sent back to the GP. Now, GPs have already got millions of things to do. It's, it's, it's a very, very difficult job to do because you have to be a jack of all trades and master of none and you've got all of the stuff to do. Now, getting a report back, which is in technical language of a, a you know particular specialty that, that you might not be au fait with, means that you are then, if there's a problem with that, going to have to request a secondary care opinion on that test, which feeds you back into the bottleneck. Then you straight back into the system. Yeah, so you're plugging someone back in to an already overwhelmed system. The thing about what Venturi can offer patients and the NHS, which the NHS is yet to realise this, despite us banging on the door and saying, look, we offer the solution. If you let us complete the patient's pathway and you send us the patient's letters up till now securely, then we will do the test and we will, you, the patient will be seen by a consultant cardiologist on the day and will be given a plan and the letter will go back and, and the drugs will be prescribed and we'll get to that point much, much quicker and you won't have to then have the problem of plumbing someone back into an overwhelmed system. So in a way, personally, I feel that Venturi... Yeah is a step above clinical diagnostic it's, hubs it's, and centres. Well, because it's sort of like, a, 
it's solving the it's it's solving an end to end issue. Whereas like actually getting someone tested quicker and do it the the actual physicality of the test itself isn't necessarily the bottleneck, right? It's everything all around it because that test generates data, generates results which in theory needs to be interpreted and distilled into a course of action, advice, treatment, prescription, follow-up plan, which unless it's all in one place, that just creates more workflows. Yeah. I mean, we, we, again, this is something that we could take feedback on and prove is that, you know, we still have to correspond with general practitioners to, to get medicines prescribed and to, and that's okay. another bottleneck. Um, so we're looking at trying Could to get a pharmacists because gen- right, yeah. all pharmacists are turning into prescribing pharmacists soon enough. Yeah. So we, we're, we're getting to a stage where we're, we're talking with pharmacy groups, whether we can have our own pra- uh, prescribing facilities as consultants mm. so we can take that workload off the GP because you can see it from the GP's perspective uh, they don't. They don't want more work landing back in the plate. They, they no. want. So they want to say, let's let send this uh, patient to someone who knows what they're doing, and and then that's it. I don't need to worry about it. I've got enough to worry yeah. about. And so we we are working towards, you know, trying to improve our service from that perspective, where we we do uh, offer prescriptions, we do offer the full plan, and it all gets sorted ASAP because. One of the issues we've got at the moment is we're both we're all working hybridly, so we're working one day a week in the clinic and uh, or sometimes two days a week, and we're working three days a week um, in NHS. And then right. when we're on call in the NHS, like for instance, when I'm on call, uh, I'm on seven days, twenty four seven. So I don't wow. do any work then uh, at Venturi, um, or if I'm on the wards or I'm seeing patients in the hospital, we're not working there. We have to be uncontracted. From an right, NHS. completely the free. The, the burden of work that builds in the NHS matched with the burden of work that build that is building at Venturi means that occasionally you get overwhelmed. Yeah, and then you're, you're struggling to provide the best service for all the patients. So I think yeah. that we we you know a time will come whether uh, when we, we we need to improve on that if if we continue to be expanding and growing. Yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, look and. Yeah, I mean the, the the NHS has just has always been under a lot of strain, and, and it's really held together by the individuals that work in it, such as yourselves and, and, and you know hundreds of thousands of others. Um, it's a very commendable you know juggling act, high wire act that that many many people do. So, um, you know, thank you for for, for doing that for for, for everyone. Um, what just quickly, well, we got we're going to break for another commercial break in a bit, but just for everyone listening, because I know that. I always like to try and ask questions that some people might think are a bit stupid, but might might benefit listeners just in terms of like some basic terminology. So echocardiogram, what is it and why do you do it? Okay, so an echo is basically an ultrasound of the heart. So if you've seen a scan that a pregnant woman gets on a, on the baby, and um, that's an ultrasound, or if someone's had an ultrasound of their kidneys or their abdomen or whatever, that's an ultrasound. But we focus the ultrasound on the heart, and and what it gives us is a black and white picture of the heart actually moving in real time. So we're able to assess the function of the heart muscle, both the left ventricle, the right ventricle. We're able to look at the valves, which open and close in various parts of the cardiac cycle. So we're able to see where the valves are leaking or stiffening. And we get a general sense of the dimensions of the heart, um, and, and really, that's it's a go-to test uh, for for knowing structure whether your heart's structurally and functionally normal. Okay, so is that, is that that's, 
Go yeah. on, sorry. You, you don't see the heart arteries on, on an ultrasound of the heart, an echocardiogram. Um, you will see the aorta, which is the main blood vessel that comes out the heart, which takes blood around the body, but you won't see the coronary arteries where heart attacks happen. Okay. And then you also mentioned CT. So what's the yep. difference between an echo, an echo and, a, and a CT? And why would you do one or not the other? Because these are yep. two of the key tests that you do at Venturi. Yeah, right? yeah. The, the, the in theory could take weeks or, or months to sort of get through in a, you know, without knocking the NHS, but if you went that way. Yeah, so CT is different in that we use that primarily to look at the heart arteries, uh, the main branches of, of, of blood supply to the heart muscle, and that's where heart attacks happen. So we look at uh, UCT, and CT uses X-ray. So you're being exposed to radiation by having a CT, and therefore we've got two methods we use. We use a low-dose CT called a calcium score, which doesn't involve contrast and doesn't involve as much radiation, but gives allows us to see the heart arteries and see whether they're having any buildup of calcified plaque on there, which is a sign that you've got a problem. Um, mm -hmm. And we do a more uh, uh, high definition CT scan called a CT coronary angiogram, where we actually right. inject dye in through a, a drip in your arm and we time the scan so that the heart arteries are lit up by the contrast and we scan when the heart is motionless mm -hmm. uh, and we're able to see the heart arteries in great detail and know whether you're building up any soft or hard plaques there. So that's a more detailed test, but comes with a caveat of slightly more radiation and a higher price. Okay. Well, look, we're going to break for a commercial break now, but we'll be back up to two minutes. And then I want to get into, because I know that you've got some case studies and you hinted at it earlier where people come in and they're so relieved because they've had their concerns addressed or, you know, they're, they're relieved or, or sort of inspired slightly to make changes because they, they realize that they, they have to. So we'll dig into that after this commercial break with Scott Murray, CEO and founder of um, Venturi Cardiology. The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchship.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% using the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, and my guest this week, Scott Murray, the CEO and founder of Venturi Cardiology. As always, well, uh, the show is also um, supported by ZeroZilgzip.com. So, Scott, um, let's just dig into, thanks for defining and explaining what the echo is versus the CT. What difference does your service make to patients or to the people that come to you? What, what, what's the impact on people? I mean, I think it is basically knowing where you're up to immediately. So, um, you know, we were able to see exactly in, in multimodality where your heart is up to and give you the exact answer of what your risk is at that moment in time of a heart attack in the next 10 years. And so you got the entire spectrum of patients coming in, you know, for example, 
Um, we've had sixty-year-old uh, mechanic smokers who've ate pasties all their life um, and are concerned that they're going to drop down dead of a heart attack. Come in and get an absolutely clean, <laughs> clean <laughs> scan. So and and right. you've got. Uh, and and so you know the lungs look okay despite smoking like a beagle from the age of twelve. Wow. Um, you've they've got clean coronary arteries, and you think how is this possible? And then you've got on the other side of the coin, you've got health conscious realist vegans who come in to get tested, or you know I'm I'm being facetious here, but yeah, I, I um, know you're being you know people who are re- really look after their health. You know they eat properly, they cook their own food, they exercise, and they come in and they've got significant vascular disease. So, right. you know, it, it, it's... And in the, so in those two extreme examples, because obviously I know you've taken very extreme examples to kind of make a point, which is, which is all well and good. But like, why, why, do they, those, why do those extreme examples exist? Is it purely genetics in that, at, at, that, at those extremes? It, it, yeah. Or, I, say, I, right. To some extent. I mean, I think where we're up to with our knowledge is that 50% of cardiovascular disease is genetic and the other 50% you can do something about. So... Um, genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. Um, but some right. people, even right. even though they are, they've got genetics and environmental issues, they seem to scrape through. And other people who are not known to have, you know, known genetic issues ha- have got disease. And you, the bottom right. line is, and how we impact patients is, you don't know until you get tested. You don't know until you know. Like that's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. right. Like what's yeah. the downside? Like, like go find out. It's it's the sort of engineering mindset. I mean, you don't uh, if it if you don't measure it, it's not going to get fixed. And and I suppose with your with your lipid uh, work that you're doing, you know, there'll be many people who'll get those lipid results and now realise, oh my god, my HDL is exceptionally low, or my LDL yeah. is exceptionally high, and my triglycerides are high, and uh, I'm on a bad yeah. metabolic path. Well, well, yeah, exactly. And there's it it, it uh, the thing for us around. Um, lipids was that you know we, we did a lot of research before we started the company and and, and the platform next is um we're doing one for the type 2 diabetes market called hba1c and a few others we, we've exclusively focused on things where um we're in the preventative space because we believe in this pathway of access to data understanding of your situation action to make an improvement to improve your risk right mm. so that actually test things like you said what what gets measured gets acted upon in a way yeah you know and so that's that's why we didn't really we've not been that interested in in like the genetic pathway and things like that when we first started people like oh can you because when we first started looking at things big like the genetic kind of testing explosion was sort of i guess peaking and the truth was as as useful as that stuff is you you can't really do a huge amount with that information yeah yeah so we, we, we were much more interested in um creating this you know smartphone based life cycle of testing understanding your biological data understanding what action you can take and then creating this virtuous circle so one of the insights that came out of a lot of the user research that we did amongst sort of you know joe public was like i hear a lot about lowering my cholesterol i get i got a cholesterol test eight years ago um my doctor told me to eat like flora and not butter but i haven't had a test since i've got no idea what my cholesterol level is it's yeah, like, well, that's yeah. not that that you, you know that's why things like Strava and all of these health and fitness apps work is because you have the ability to to create that that positive feedback loop as in okay I know I've got an issue I'm going to take some action oh wow look 
I've made an improvement. Great. I'll keep doing yeah. it. It's like, if that's on an eight year cycle, then it doesn't really work very well. Yeah. I mean, I think the lipids is, is a good way of, 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 of talking about that because we, you know, what we found is that we, there are people who come and know they've got an issue and that, you know, obviously in any walk of life, you've got people who are extremely health literate and they've listened to thousands of hours of podcasts yeah. and they've been on YouTube uh, spend their entire life um, and they're in Facebook groups or about X, Y, and Z and all the research has been shared and with a, a limited amount of basic knowledge, they've gleamed, um, you know, a superficial veneer of knowledge and, and yeah. then they are, they're using their own data and trying to interpret that. But often what they actually need is they need someone who's an, who is an expert who's yeah. worked in it for 20 years to come along and say, look, stop paying 50 quid to some guy in Australia for these, um, you know, homeopathic, um, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. pills that have been, have been touted to you as being able to reverse your heart disease and these yeah. sort of things and start focusing on, you know, dropping down the amount of sugar and fructose you've got in your diet. Yeah. And well, it's like, it's like, I'm sure sort of things. The, the advice for reducing your risk of cardiovascular disease and type two diabetes is kind of the same. It's, you know, eat more healthily, reduce the volume of food that you take, you know, don't, don't overeat, reduce your alcohol intake, stop smoking, take more exercise broadly. Right. And yeah. so um, it's, it's not like the actual, and again, we got kind of people got very fixated when we started around like, well, you know, are you going to do like meal plans and you're going to do all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, actually like there's lots of people doing that, thing, like that type of thing, you know, and, yeah. and actually there's sort of, the, there's not a huge amount of like rocket science in that part of it i don't i don't really think it's more around how do you connect everything that everyone agrees to be true in terms of what to do about it with with landing that with people so that they understand that they should do something about it and then connecting them to what they can do and actually trying to sort of increase the conversion rate if you for want of a better word into actually doing something about it where i think magic is and I think some people are obviously being shunted onto a great health journey by an awakening in, of, of their health literacy on the internet, which is a great thing. And they've improved things and they've they've got better. And and but I think some people have also been shunted down a, a rabbit hole that um, maybe isn't the best thing for them. And and I think we have to, you know, embrace the fact that everything's individually idiosyncratic and what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for another mm -hmm. and you know eating for instance your keto warrior who's only eating oh fat. okay and so yeah, and some people well, some people have amazing results from that but other people their metabolic lipid system can't cope with that and they get no, and, extreme no. increases in in their uh, lipoproteins they get yeah triglycerides I bet you people are doing the keto diet, right? Without even understanding the impact that it could have on their lipid levels. Yeah. And you're completely right. It's sort of, I don't know, that, that type of stuff I get a bit frustrated about because it's sort of like, particularly on social media, and this is sort of what I mentioned about the alcohol-free thing, sort of whatever the particular sort of niche that you're in, there are people there, acolytes, that saying that it will solve the world. And yeah. it's all about context and understanding that you there's a reaction and a, there's an action reaction type thing, right? Like if yeah. you only eat fat, 
<laughs> like, yeah. some people can manage on that. I mean, yeah, I'm, not, I I'm not knocking in a particular way. It's the same as you know, uh, veganism. Some people can manage on that, and some people get great benefits from it. But there are some people that it's just not right for. And I think unless you get tested uh, and and look at the response that your body is making to that with lipid tests and with making sure your arteries are okay and these sort of things, then I think you're you're sort of tunneling down a blind alley. Uh, and, and therefore, we do get a lot of people who've come because their lipids have shot up. And why has this happened? And and there's just some honest, frank conversations that, you know, your system cannot handle this. And you need to go back to actually eating a, a more balanced diet right. um, and that homeostasis to some extent demands that we, we eat uh, some element of balance, you know, sort of dietary requirements. Yeah, no, I... Completely, completely agree. Um, so what, um, obviously, you, you know, you kind of alluded to it through the show, but you've got kind of a lot on your plate, right? You know, even before <laughs> <Yeah>. you, start, <laughs> even before you <laughs> to say the least. My impending um, nervous breakdown, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a father of three small children myself, and, you know, I, I so I could kind of empathise, but you, you've you even got like the added layer of actually being a kind of practising cardiologist on call for 24 hours a day, every, you know, every, every other week or whatever it is. Um, so, like, how, how do you and how have you, kind of managed to stay motivated and you know stave off that nervous breakdown and, and stay on on the mission and you know manage to function and have a sensible conversation on the radio type of thing <laughs> um I, I think this is the first question I can't answer um no, <laughs> right I mean do um, your best do your I think best. I've got I've got the support of um an incredible wife and an incredible uh three kids and my in-laws an extended family and um, my parents when they come down from Scotland they're all extremely supportive of me and without that I would never have been able to to do anything so I mean I think I'm, I'm lucky in that in that respect that I live in a nice place I've you know um, I, I, I've got the means to have a good quality of life which not everyone does um, and you know I, I take some um, solace from the fact that I've come from working class beginnings in a council estate and I, I've managed to get to this sort of level so I, when I wake up each morning and I see my kids and my wife I, I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that and, and that's why I think <laughs> um, work you'll always be replaced at work right. you know, uh, you're replaceable, I'm replaceable uh, here in the NHS, I'm replaceable at Venturi. Um, the, you know, the investors might terminate my contract next week and and, and bring in another cardiologist. Who knows? Um, but I, I haven't know, so, I haven't heard anything about that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that we, um, you know, I, I suppose there's a, a mindfulness there in the background. I mean, things I could do better. I could drink less alcohol, <laughs> and I could sleep better. I suppose. And do more exercise, but it's it's difficult balancing it all up, isn't it? Everyone's in the same situation. Yeah, no, I I would I agree with a lot of what you just said. So, what's next for Venturi? Where do you go from here? Um, yeah, so we're we're signing more, hopefully more NHS uh, contracts. We've just taken over a community cardiology service in in Southport, Birkdale, in the north of in the north of England. Who they've struggled to have a. a you know, properly set up community cardiology service. So we've 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 started working there. We were looking to get more CT work for the NHS, 
and basically try and improve the, the, the process for patients coming both self-paying and privately so that they, they do get their letters a bit quicker. I'm, 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 I'm probably the biggest culprit myself of being overworked and not getting the letters to the patients as soon as I, I would like to. Um, and just mm. basically growing um, uh, vertically and horizontally. So hopefully an MRI scanner at the site that we have so that we can do, I mean, every cardiology um, potential question can be answered by a top quality CT scan and a top quality MRI scan. Um, you know, wow. I think we could answer okay. most questions there. So we, we, that's the next dimension for us is being able to afford um, and um, the upkeep of an MRI uh, and also maybe look at other sites uh, in the UK uh, with other w willing cardiologists who want to maybe franchise a Venturi um, and have us Ooh. help them set that up and run it. Um, Great. That, that, that's, that's where we were looking to the future. Good. Well, that's super exciting. And so just before we just before we finish, what kind of advice would you give for any um, to any kind of clinician that, that, that is listening who has an idea of a, of a business, but they're kind of conflicted about whether to continue as a clinician or whether to make the leap or kind of do what you do, which is slightly hybrid, but may end up going one way, you know, as, as you go through? What, what kind of short piece of advice would you give just to end the show? I would I would get advice, legal and financial advice. We were lucky in that uh, Tom Heseltine, the co-founder, he has childhood friends who are um, directors, uh, you know, um, corporate lawyers and corporate accountants. So we, they came on board as founding members as well. And I think without them and the ability right. to dive into the venture capitalist area and get funding, uh, this would never have happened. So we were eternally grateful to right. the wider Venturi team that exists. Uh, and so I think you need to surround yourself right. by people who've been and done that before. Right. That makes sense. Um, well, look, on that note, Scott, it was great to have you on. Scott Murray, CEO and founder of Venturi Cardiology. It was a great show, great discussion. Thanks for coming on. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back again next week. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, everyone at UK Health Radio for the opportunity. Hello. Perfect. Hello, do you know I'm tired?